1: There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever near. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. This gospel message will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian, clothed with the armor of a gospel defender. Ladies and gentlemen, we are introduced to John the Baptizer in the New Testament, in the third chapter of Matthew. There it is written in verses 1 and 2, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Note that I said it is in Matthew 3 that we are introduced to John the Immerser in the New Testament if one considers the four gospel records as being part of the New Testament, which they are not, but this fact is for a lesson at some other time. Almost 800 years before the book of Matthew was written, The Old Testament book of Isaiah was written, and Isaiah had something to say about John in the 40th chapter of his voluminous book of 66 chapters. Actually, it was Jehovah who had something to say about John. Isaiah merely recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what Jehovah had to say. What God Almighty said through Isaiah in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, was this, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That Isaiah's prophecy was about John of the third chapter of Matthew is obvious to anyone who reads Matthew 3, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of By the prophet Isaiah. It is interesting that God identified John as the voice. That was John's calling card, his voice. His voice was used to communicate God's message. This is true of preachers today. Their voice is their primary tool used on behalf of Christ. Preachers are commissioned. To preach the word, and those who accept this commission do this by using their voice. The first recorded utterance that came from the voice of John was as unwelcomed then as it is today. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is an unpopular message, so it is seldom preached. By today's Preachers Because of what is said about John the Immerser in Matthew 3 verse 4 He is sometimes viewed by some as being some kind of wild man from Borneo Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair With a leather belt around his waist And his food was locusts and wild honey I can't say much for his dress or his diet, but neither can I say that I know of anyone in this present life who has done as much for Christ as John did. Even Jesus noted in Matthew 11 that John's wardrobe was different. He asked the multitudes in verse 8, What did you go out to see? a man clothed in soft garments? And then he said in verse 11, I say to you among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. This message is part of a series of messages concerning ministers of Satan. And so I need to say something about the way a minister of Satan would present John the Baptist to their audiences. If I were a minister of Satan, I would preach that the way John dressed and ate and conducted his ministry is evidence that he must have been deranged. Not all there. What minister of Christ would conduct his ministry as John did, preaching in the wilderness a message of repentance, and calling religious leaders a brood of vipers. Who in his right mind would dare tell a king who could remove his head from his shoulders that the king unlawfully married his sister-in-law? Because of these things and more, were I a minister of Satan? I would portray John the Immerser as a nutcase whose preaching ministry qualifies it as a case example of someone who was a religious lunatic. Not only this, but I would also bring to my congregation's attention what the baptizer said in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 36. John introduced his own disciples to Jesus in those two verses by telling them to, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As a minister of Satan, I would convince those who listen to me wax eloquently that this is one more illustration of the craziness of John. Lamb of God, take away sin. This would be further evidence that John was indeed deranged. To believe there is such a thing as sin, and it is whatever some holy book defines it to be, is an ignorant, unschooled, unsophisticated idea that may have been an accepted belief 100 years ago, but we have come a long way since then. We now live in an age of enlightenment. We are smarter and more educated than were those who attended sawdust revivals of yesteryear. We have come to understand that what Bible-thumping preachers call sin is an outdated belief held only by those who are still stuck in a Bible that was written when most people could not even read. We have learned that there is no such thing As absolute sin. Sin is a relative term. Some things may be sin to some people, but they are not sin to all people. Each person must judge for him or herself what is sin. It is a matter for individual judgment. I would suggest that sin does not exist except in the minds of those still living in the dark ages. It is an antiquated belief. We have had an evolution of thought about sin. As a minister of Satan, I would tell my audience that we have finally come to realize the doctrine of situation ethics is much more positive to mental health than the doctrine of damning sin that it's preached, taught, and believed in some so-called Christian circles. The idea that something is sin only creates unnecessary guilt and shame. Who has the right to say that an extramarital affair is wrong? If only the people involved in such an affair know about it, And if it helps to relieve the stress and strain of a troubled marriage, who is to say it's wrong? And who is to judge that a homosexual or lesbian relationship is wrong? If two people of the same sex say they love each other and choose to be married, who has the right to condemn it? If a man wants to be a woman, or a woman wants to be a man, whose business is it except theirs? Why, Christians love to judge others, and there is far too much judging going on. The world would be a better place if religion got out of the lives of people. Besides, I would remind my audience, People who are sexually unfaithful or who are attracted to the same sex cannot be blamed for their decisions. They were born that way. It's in their DNA. If there is a God, God created some people with male and female bodies having the wrong genitalia. It is all God's fault as a minister of Satan. I would preach the satanic message of Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and others of their ungodly faith who believe the world to be a better place without Christianity in it. After all, the cultural war being fought is because of Christians who want to impose Christianity on everyone else. Christians are miserable and want everyone else to be as miserable as they are. Christians are unloving, nasty, judgmental people who want to control everyone's life. These are some of the things I would preach concerning the non-existence of sin if I were a minister of Satan. But I am not a minister of Satan and I have been charged to preach the same message as did John the baptizer in Matthew 3, verse 2 and as did Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am a minister of Christ and his word. The only book I have. The only document I have to guide me in knowing what is right and what is wrong is the one and only book that reveals the mind of God concerning sin. I am not guided by polls. I am not guided by what others think. And I am not guided by the books written by theologians, psychiatrists, psychologists, or anthropologists. They and their documents do not even agree concerning the subject of what is right and what is wrong. They are mere uninspired human beings with sinful natures and, in some cases, depraved minds. God and only God is holy. God and only God is righteous. God and only God is is the final authority in these matters. I want to be as much like John in my preaching as I can be, so I am not guided by raising a wet finger into the air to see which way the wind is blowing. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, asked Jesus, So here, as a minister of Christ, is what I preach concerning the doctrine of sin. First, as a minister of Christ, I preach what the Word of God says sin is. It is the violation of God's law, His eternal everlasting law of righteousness, that is written between the covers of His holy book. I preach this because this is what God's Word says it is. The Old King James Version states this in 1 John 3, 4, in such a way that only a fool could possibly misunderstand it. Sin is the transgression of God's law. Other more modern translations state it this way, sin is lawlessness. Ladies and gentlemen, whether we like it or not, whether we agree or not, God's Word has laws. When we violate God's laws, we are guilty of sin. We are lawbreakers. No person created by God, and we all have been created by Him, has the authority to preach to God what is sin and what is not sin. NO ONE IN CONGRESS, NO ONE IN THE WHITE HOUSE, NO ONE IN ANY PART OF THE JUDICIARY HAS THE AUTHORITY, CONSTITUTIONALLY OR OTHERWISE, TO TELL GOD WHAT IS LEGAL OR WHAT IS ILLEGAL, IF IT HAS BEEN ADDRESSED BY GOD, AND GOD HAS SPOKEN, AND HIS WORD IS FINAL. This is true in the case of homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism, abortion and drug and substance abuse. This is true concerning a host of other misbehaviors about which the Church is frequently silent —covetousness, gossip, deceit, holding grudges, disobedience to parents, refusing to forgive, adultery jealousy and so forth not long ago a man asked me why the church is always harping about the sex lives of other people why is the church so obsessed with homosexuals and lesbians and transgenders he asked i told him there are two reasons first because god is and second Because the Lamb of God died on Calvary's cross to forgive those people of these sins, and the church must get those people lost before Christ can get them saved. Because God has identified these relationships and behaviors as sin, the church has no authority to say they are not. Any church that says these behaviors are not sin, is not the church that Jesus built and is revealed in the New Testament it matters not who these behaviors affect a preacher's family an elder's family or a member's family who gives the biggest offering on the lord's day sin is sin as defined by god's word regardless of who is guilty Church buildings waving LGBTQIA flags in the face of God are congregations who believe they have the authority to change God's eternal word. All in the name of love, of course. I would not give a dime to support one of them. Second, concerning the doctrine of sin, as a minister of Christ, I preach Romans 3 verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have no problem whatsoever in telling those who listen to me that there is not a person on the face of God's earth who has reached the stage of life, knowing right from wrong who has not sinned, who has not violated God's law. This is true of every church leader and every person who submit to their leadership. At some time in their life they were immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. They had their sins forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, which means they were guilty of sin at the time they were immersed. All have sinned—preachers, teachers, evangelists, deacons, and elders. Not only have they sinned in the past, but they continue to sin. They have not completely won their personal spiritual battle over their own flesh. No one has. Anyone who says they have is a liar. As a minister of Christ, I say this without fear and with absolute certainty. Apostle John said as much in 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But there is good news for the child of God, the Christian, to whom First John was written. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I must quickly remind those who are not Christians, 1 John 1, verses 8-10 through was not and is not written to you. It is written only to those who have repented of their sins and have been baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. You cannot and you will not be saved by the blood of Christ, by only confessing your sins, whether it is in a sinner's prayer at an altar in the front of a church auditorium, or in a confessional booth. Salvation is received only when you repent and are immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, based upon your belief that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. After that, you have the right and the obligation to follow 1 John 1, verses 8, through ten. Third, as a minister of Christ I preached that the wages of sin is death. I preached this because an inspired apostle of Jesus Christ, writing while inspired of the Holy Spirit, said this in Romans 6, verse 23, Sin, as defined by God and not by men, sin that is not forgiven by the blood of the Lamb of God will be punished by death, eternal everlasting death, eternal everlasting separation from God. As a messenger of Christ I can only preach His message. My message in this hour must include 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done. Whether good or bad. Sin separates men from God. If you long to be reconciled to your Creator, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins in this hour. There's
1: a battle going on for the souls of men. The feast of war is there. Of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not surrender. I'll not surrender.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. Our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box, 575 Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, Zip, 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at gospel-defender.org or by email at agosdef, A-G-O-S-D-E-F, at roadrunner.com. At your request, a written transcript or an audio copy of today's message will be sent to you free of charge with no obligation from you now or in the future. We need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense God of the Gospel.